Hey everybody, welcome back to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. My name is Matt Finch, and today I'm welcoming back John Ragsdale. John, uh, how are you? I'm doing very well. We survived the holidays and a new year is upon us, so it's fun to be back. I know it's great to get that that little break between Christmas and New Year that uh, that always fills up with really important things to think about. It's a great place to take a step back and start to think about the new year. And for those of you that hadn't uh, met John before or didn't listen to our previous episode, John is a distinguished researcher and vice president of technology ecosystems at TSIA, one of our, our greatest partners. We love working uh, with John and all of his team. A fantastic organization. If you're not members of TSIA, we really encourage you to to, to do so and look those guys up and see what they can do for you. They can do an awful lot. We're, we're, we're happy to have you on the show again, John. So rolling into the new year, I really want to know all of the things we learned from last year. Um, the show in Las Vegas, it seems so long ago now that we were all there together, but what? first of all, what a great thing to, uh, to do to get back together in person again. From your perspective, John, what did you really learn from that show? And then coming into 2022, you know, what are the things that professional services organizations should be focusing on? If you were, if you were sitting down and doing your offsite planning right now today, <laughs> what would be the number one or number two things on, on those lists that we should all be thinking about? Well, from a technology perspective, if we look at the year over year data, there has been so much spending on technology and professional services. But what I didn't see is the go-live numbers haven't gone up that much. So it seems like uh, there's a lot of (laughs) projects underway, a lot of investigations, a lot of tire kicking. uh, And I'm hoping that 2022 is the year that the rubber is going to meet the road uh, because clearly uh, there's some huge opportunities for automating the entire quote to cash cycle, uh, looking at changing, as we talked about uh, the last time we were together, restructuring the way projects are delivered, uh, definitely driving up profitability. And I think today we're going to be talking about really the, the changing charter of professional services. And I think that is going to be a, uh, Probably a surprise to a lot of people at your offsites kicking off 2022 is you've got a new set of marching orders, a new set of priorities, and probably uh, some new roles, some new technologies, a lot of new metrics uh, we're going to have to be worrying about. So I'm, I'm glad we're we're talking about this because I, I do think it's going to be new territory for a lot of professional services consultants and executives. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's these planning cycles that, that really fascinate me because obviously the thought that goes into them starts many, many, many months ahead. And I, I think that's why TSIA and, and, and TSW as an event is a great time of the year because it's winding down, you know, the, into the last quarter, starting to get our thoughts together ready for uh, the next year. And then, you know, we're going to head to our offsites with all of these, you know, wonderful and, and fantastic ideas. So you mentioned, John, a bit of a shift in, you know, kind of priorities in professional services organizations. What would be, you know, the, the top trends that you're, that you, you started to see build that we would, you know, really should be focusing on in 2022. If I was a services leader going into my offsite, what's the the thing that I should be bringing up uh, first and foremost? Well, the biggest shift, and uh, we worked together on a technology summit on this topic uh, last year. But when you go back a few years, or really as long as I've been working with 
with professional services, the focus has always been revenue, profit, margins, utilization rate. I mean, it's a very financial run organization. I was, I, I have to admit, kind of shocked to find that over 300 interviews that Bo DiMuccio and Dick Young on our professional services research team had done with executives and uh, company executives and PS executives, when they interviewed them and survey around the charter of professional services, the number one charter is now driving customer adoption and enabling customer value. And revenue, margin, you know, customer acquisition have dropped down the list. So, you know, to me, this is a significant shift. Uh, It not only reflects where the technology industry is in a cloud world, uh, customer success becomes critical, but I also think it shows something that I have been saying for years, customer success is not a department. It is a philosophy and it is a corporate culture. And I think that more organizations are understanding the critical role they play in enabling the success of customers and professional services, in my mind, is front and center uh, to making that happen. So I think that, you know, that focus or that change in charter has some pretty wide ramifications on the way we approach projects, probably even hiring profiles, the interactions we have with customers, who's involved in the project. Really, I think we're going to rethink almost everything we do uh, in implementing, integrating, customizing technology to generate rapid value realization and success for customers. Yeah, excellent. Gosh, John, uh, as always, there's there's a ton to unpack there, but let's let's just reset a little bit on something you mentioned, which I think is really fascinating. Customer success is not a department; it's a whole company charter. I completely agree with with the concept. Let's unpack that a little bit, and and let's let's talk about that because most software organizations have some kind of customer success department. Sometimes they are part of professional services. Sometimes they're separate from professional services. I've seen them be targeted on revenue, you know, renewals and upsells, you know, is that really customer success or is that just sales all over again? Or is it, you know, net promoter scores and things like that, where we're trying to get people so well adopted, loving the technology that we have that they then go and, you know, talk to their peers um, uh, and, and recommend, you know, certain technologies. I think those are more functional areas and jobs to be done. But talk to us a little bit about the philosophy of, of like everybody in the company should be driven behind customer success. You know, what, what, what does that really mean to you? Well, the, the concept of customer success was really born when the industry shifted toward cloud technology because, uh, you know, I worked for CRM vendors back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, you know, you would go through that two-year sales cycle, sell the product for over a million dollars, which was a lot of money back in the 90s, and then you would implement Mm -hmm. it, and I worked in professional services implementing CRM, and let me tell you, the day you went live, you were gone from that site. What they did with the product (laughs) after that was not my problem. And if the customer didn't get value, ultimately, that was on them. 
And that meant that I would say much more than half of the software sold was shelfware, never even got implemented. And the customer paid 100% of the price upfront and whether they got value or not was their, their problem to deal with. Obviously, the cloud and subscription technology has completely changed that because you don't even make money on a customer until they have renewed maybe twice because the cost of acquisition yep. is so high. And so the customer has so much more control uh, than they used to have. And if they have a bad sales experience, a bad implementation experience, if the, the employees are complaining about the technology, when it comes to renewal time, they're just it's very easy to swap to your competitor. Um, very, very easy just to transfer your data over to a new platform and, and start again. So customer success started with a focus on what can we do to accelerate the value that customers receive from technology to make sure that they are renewing, they're buying more from us, uh, and you know that we're we're growing that wallet share over time. So th- this organization called Customer Success started, and they were tasked with adoption, consumption, expansion, and renewals. And you know we continue to see that as the primary charters. So you know I think initially there was so much press around this customer success organization. They got a lot of visibility. They got a lot of budget to really buy anything they wanted. But after, you know, people, I think a lot of tech companies started digesting what that means, they, they suddenly realize it's more than a department. Because if the product is hard to use and doesn't have the features customers need, they can't be successful. If we're not implementing the product in such a way that it's meeting the the business goals they had for the purchase, they're not successful. If we're not training them appropriately to use the technology, they're not successful. And ultimately, if we're not supporting them when they have problems, they're not successful. So it turns out that, in my view, customer success is really an end-to-end strategy from the way you build products, because it used to be you know, the sales reps decided what features went in the product because they needed that feature to sell it. Now the customers are doing ideation and uh, a large percentage of new capabilities in every software release is generated by customer demand. So the customer is in control. There's a lot more transparency and they really expect you to understand the outcomes they expect to get and every touch point should be helping the customer get that outcome faster and more. And, you know, again, a lot of that comes down to professional services. I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned there around adoption. I think this is really interesting because there's a whole industry of technology, digital adoption platforms that are designed to sit on top of software to help you adopt them and, and use them. And it's, it's almost like, you know, has that industry sprung up because of the, um, you know, the, the lack of this in the past, you know, the lack of this desire for people to adopt the software versus just sell it. You know, I think you, you mentioned it was this, uh, um, 
it, it's an entire company thing from the way that you design the solution to the way that you go to market, the way that you implement and then, um, and then look after your, your clients. I think it's really interesting that then there's this whole industry sprung up around adoption to drive that. Because for me, you know, if you're not using a, uh, a solution that you've purchased, what was the point in purchasing it? And, you know, gosh, for, decades we you know we shelfware was a real thing but who cared because you know you close the deal and you move on well you know but actually now you can't you can't really do that so i mean from a a measure do you think it's worth measuring adoption you know from a client is is that the number one thing to focus on it's a very tough topic i naively assumed coming from an on-premise background that because you were building this cloud technology that every customer click is captured in a cloud, that cloud companies had really infinite information about how people were consuming, what they were consuming, what they weren't consuming, who was consuming what. Turns out, not necessarily the case. Uh, And the last time we surveyed companies about this, the majority of companies could tell you if an account had logged in. They couldn't tell you who in the account logged in. They couldn't tell you what features any individual user was was actually using. And so while it's all captured in clicks someplace in the cloud, being able to isolate millions of clicks into really the path that a user takes through a software application is a very complex thing to do. And then to link those click streams to a contact in your CRM system to understand who at the account is actually doing it is really hard to do. And that's why you're seeing, you know, so many new products coming to market um, that are able to take all of your endless click streams and, and put some reason uh, around that. In fact, uh, I recently saw a technology that's starting to put dollars on features and tell you the the actual value your customers are getting from using specific features. So, yeah, it, it's really interesting to see uh, that we are seeing that uh, more departments outside of customer success are investing in adoption monitoring technology, including professional services. Because, you know, if your mm-hmm. charter is adoption, how are you going to be graded on that? You need to be able to show over time yep. that. Customers are adopting more of the product and, you know, we, we could do another whole podcast on just the, the metrics around adoption, <laughs> but who is adopting it? You know, how often do they use a feature? How long does it take to find a feature? Uh, and really how much time are they spending in the applications? And ideally, you should be able to have a baseline. And then as you start focusing more of the attention of professional services toward that, you should be able to see that needle move, that they are using it more. They are using it faster. There are more people within the organization migrating to the tool in a shorter amount of time. So, you know, if your charter is adoption, you're going to have to have some way to measure it to prove that you are meeting that charter. So if you're a professional services leader at your offsite, like we were sort of painting the picture earlier on, um, do, do you feel professional services organizations are prepared for this going into next year? How, how do they become prepared? What should they focus on um, if this type of adoption and client success or customer success methodology is going to be you know, really at the forefront of their year next year or this year? 
I think there are some companies that it is truly a a core part of their culture, making customers successful. And it, it always has been. But, you know, to be honest, I think this is a very new concept to a lot of companies, especially some legacy companies that are moving to the cloud. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I hate using the term launch and leave because it, it's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. not, not perceived well, but that has often been really the culture of professional services. You launch and you leave and it's not your problem. And, you know, that, that means that uh, the, we're going to have to change the way we assign consultants to projects, how we measure the success of, of them on the projects. I think we're going to be probably uh, screening for a lot more communication skills and business acumen than just you know technical and project skills. Uh, and absolutely a lot more uh, survey work and interviews about what did you like? What didn't you like? What could we have done better? Which, uh, unfortunately, isn't even done half the time now when we complete a project. We don't even ask how we did. Um, but when we look at how they're going to change the way they do business, one fact for you is, according to our benchmark, only 35% of professional services organizations have a methodology for developing PS offerings that are specifically intended to increase adoption of products by customers. Now, I don't really know what that means. Right. So I, I don't know what that offer looks mm-hmm. like, but it's really putting your money where your mouth is, right? So if you're going to say our charter is improving adoption, what does that mean? Does it mean that you're creating these new offers? Uh, I do know that the percentage of consulting dollars coming from general consulting is going up, uh, and that's a good thing because uh, you know a lot of your customers are going to need some uh, business process work uh, and probably some organizational work to better leverage the technology and. The, the services folks are really good at this because they've seen so many companies and so many different industries leverage the tools. They know how you should set up and organize and, uh, you know, who's responsible for what profiles and capabilities. So I'm, I'm hoping to see that there is a little more shift away from just implementation and toward this general consulting, but also figuring out what these offers are that specifically equate Mm. to rising adoption. Um, But it also means that there has to be a much stronger partnership between the customer success organization. Um, And I I know that's something we were were planning on on talking about, but, you know, just to open that topic, uh, 70% of the time, the customer success manager is assigned to the account as soon as the deal closes. So they're along for the ride on the implementation project. What role are they playing? And I'm, I'm curious. I haven't really done any survey work on that. Um, are they only acting as the escalation point? Are they actively involved in making sure the project's going well? But that, you know, that's just uh, an example of seeing these groups collaborate uh, and work together for the benefit of the customer is definitely a strong first step. 
And I, I think as well to it, I mean, let's expand that a little further. Let's think about these um, you know, methodologies, maybe their their outcomes, actually what, what we call it here at Mavenlink would be, you know, an, an outcome that gets delivered and everybody orients around that. Um, I think it's bringing in the sales team as well. You know, we need to be setting the client up from, you know, the moment that they first talk to us as a prospect, these are the things that you can possibly achieve with using our technology, but let's set you off on an achievable path. Let's think about your maturity levels. What do you, uh, what is, what is going to be adoptable in a certain period of time? You're not going to boil the ocean and do everything at once and implement a thousand features of some software set. Um, what are the outcomes that you're selling to? What are the outcomes that the that the client is buying? What are our PS team delivering to? And then what are our client success team then um, driving them towards from an adoption perspective? I feel like it's a whole, you know, almost kind of customer journey style lift in 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 mindset on on how we we think about these things. I think that's so true. What we don't want is the, you know. The the launch and, and leave. I love that phrase. Although it's it's actually it's like you said, it's very old school. Isn't it? It's an old way of thinking about it. You know, everybody just throws it over the fence. Like I've sold this. Good luck, PS. I hope you can implement it. And then PS, right? Well, we've implemented. Good luck, client success. I hope you can renew this in a few years' time. Good luck. We we've all got to come together and and really orient around these um you know these 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 outcome elements and and these these methodologies that you that you mentioned earlier on these these PS service offerings that. Are going to be delivered. I think that's a really, really excellent point. Well, I, I think we've made some progress yeah, there, but there's definitely some work still to do. So on the positive mm. side, uh, something that I tend to see now is companies have standardized on a single CRM platform across marketing, sales, and service. There is a single account. There is a single contact record. Um, so you don't see these, you know, five different systems and nothing's integrated. I rarely see that anymore. But what you said continues to be the truth. The data that they're collecting every time they talk to a customer doesn't necessarily make it into that customer master. And the best example is what you just said. During the sales process, you understand what are the business challenges they're trying to solve with your technology? What are the metrics they're trying to move? What is the expected ROI that they're hoping to get? And then once the account gets thrown over to professional services, they have none of that information. And they have to start from scratch interviewing the customer. Why did you buy it? What do you want to get from it? Who's going to be using it? And then very often, you know, none of that gets translated into an account record either. So success or support pick up the issue. They don't know what it's integrated to. They don't know what customizations have been done. So I, I, I think that we've made a lot of progress in at least standardizing on platforms. But you're right, that end-to-end customer journey um, still seems to be an outlier that we're storing a lot of information we collect about a customer in a project plan or in a sales opportunity or in a support case. And it's not really being leveraged in an end-to-end way to better understand the customer. Yeah. And, you know, first impressions count, right? So you have a great first impression in the sales process because everybody's all over you looking to create this amazing sales experience so that you buy the solution. What you don't want to do is then repeat all of that same stuff. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to ask you a whole load more discovery questions. Like, well, your sales team asked me all of that 
you know, three months ago when we first spoke to them, like they should have it documented. Didn't you hand it over? Like already that first impression of, of um, working with the you know, post sale, working with this uh, software company uh, or technology company. If that's a bad experience, it sets the tone for the rest of the relationship. And, and you're constantly trying to play catch up to the fact that those first few weeks, you were asking those same old questions all over again, because you didn't hand it over properly between, or you weren't oriented around the same outcomes and the same plays and the same playbooks and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I used to, uh, when I, I would do workshops on customer experience, I would start on day one and say, do you have an end-to-end customer experience strategy? And every company said yes. And yet when I would say, show it to me, I've never seen one, ever. So the good Mm -hmm. news is uh, we do even have some data on this that because customer success, that organization is tasked with this, they are doing end-to-end journey exercises involving the entire organization, product, sales, service, everybody uh, is involved for really the first time. I mean, it, we always did that in the consumer world. I mean, you talk about Nike or Coke, you know, they do all this mm. end-to-end customer experience stuff. B2B didn't really do that. So we, we are seeing that. So I, I do think we're making a, a ton of progress. And if everybody can understand their role and how they can contribute to the ultimate success of customers and doing that journey analysis is really going to help iron that out. Yeah, definitely. Just to ask more of a tactical question, but on the same subject, like talking about onboarding and, and go live, like I feel like you've got a technical part of onboarding and go live setting up this the solution and making it talk to other parts of the ecosystem then you've got training and sort of train the trainer models and doing you know different different kind of rollout and then you've got cultural change and where do you feel those three things sit in the the responsibility matrix of a company now you know i I know everybody's responsible to get the customer to a, a happy place but who owns technical go live versus training versus cultural change and adoption where do you think that sits in this journey well, it's a, it's a really good question, and I, I do think onboarding has taken on this genericized, you know, kind of connotation. But I agree with you that there are multiple onboardings, and onboarding is not a one-time event; it is an ongoing event. But you know, we've got conflicting data on this. When we ask customer success who's in charge of onboarding, they say 70% of the time we are 30% professional services. But when we ask the same question in the professional services benchmark, it's reversed. 70% of the time professional services is doing the onboarding. So, you know, I think when you're dealing with complex technology and enterprise implementations, the professional services consultants, in my mind, are the ones doing the technical onboarding They're doing the training of the system administrator, probably the power users, um, whoever the admin is that's going to build all those dashboards to make the executives happy. Um, And I suspect 
that the onboarding being done by customer success is not as much one-on-one training. It's more prescribing online training for, for all of the users and monitoring how many people are taking those courses, how many are completing those courses, uh, and then comparing that to the adoption data. I mean, if you've got 500 employees who are supposed to use the application and only 50 have gone through training, you know, you know you've got a problem. So I, I still think that yeah. professional services, because they've got the technical skills, they've got the business acumen of how people use the tools, are really best poised for the the technical training, the technical onboarding, the power users. But in the past, you know, at that point, it was kind of well, PS does train the trainer, and then it's up to the company to train the employee. <laughs> So now at least you've got a success manager tasked with, if they're not actually doing the training, at least prescribing the training and monitoring how people are consuming that training content uh, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're doing what we can to set them up for success. You know, from a, an organizational perspective, thinking about professional services, client success, this real blending of the worlds, as, as we've been discussing here, and orienting around outcomes and um, the client being happy and successful versus specific roles. Just from an organizational perspective, do you, are you seeing a trend towards professional services and client success ultimately being in the same organization, reporting up to a specific C-level person, or, or do you feel they remain separate part, parts of the organization? Where, where do you see that going in the future? Well, about a year ago, uh, my executives did a lot of publishing on this topic uh, about services convergence and some early examples they were seeing of really anybody who touched the customer starting to break down the silos. So they were sharing technology, they were sharing, you know, even fungibility of resources uh, and ultimately reporting up to the similar or same executive. And, you know, I thought this was pie in the sky, but we've done probably half a dozen webinars in the last six months with companies who have done this. So it, it absolutely is happening and happening pretty quickly. And the fact that a lot of tech companies created a role for a chief customer officer as part of launching a customer success organization I think was sort of the driving force behind this convergence because now you've got someone who in their title owns the end-to-end customer experience and they've got the influence to change the way sales works and PS works and support works. So ultimately, I, I do I do think they're going to be reporting up to a chief customer officer or something uh, similar. And, you know, there are companies I know of one uh, very complex technology company that have a complete converged um, services organization. One week you're answering support calls. The next week you're on site implementing a project. Uh, the next week you may be doing a field service call. So they, you know, these, mm. the, the skills and experience are so portable from, from group to group to group that they're really breaking down the barriers. Uh, and boy, talk about cultural change. That, that one's going to be a really tough, 
tough thing for for some companies to swallow. (laughs) But when you look at smaller cloud companies, that's just the way they started. They've always been that way. And that's just logical to them. Yeah, it's almost back to the startup of like, right, everybody surround this client, make them successful. You know, this customer has to be happy, go live. We've sold them the right technology. We need them to to be happy. And it doesn't matter what your role is, that's your job. And that's a startup mentality. You're all in it together in a tiny company trying to get something off the ground. And then you go through this maturing phase where everybody then goes into their various silos. And then I feel like what we're saying here is that the real smart cutting edge companies are going to reconverge back into that same mentality. You know, it doesn't matter what the previous silos and boundaries were in, in our old company or in our, in your old role or in your, in your old, um, em, employer, you know, our company is oriented around making that client successful. So it doesn't matter what role you perform within this certain group. I think that's a really powerful maturing of the, the SaaS market from these tiny startups that just get things done through the big silos and now back into really focusing on what matters, which is getting the, the customers happy because you know they're the ones that are spending the money that's keeping all of these companies alive. Well, the, the survey work we did on this topic, the majority of companies recognized that there were definitely some skills and resources that could be shared. And 75% of tech companies say they're actively pursuing initiatives to find cost synergies across existing service lines. But the holdout or the stumbling point is usually these intractable budgets. Nobody wants to give up their technology budget, their resource budget. So, you know, uh, it's kind of these fiefdoms that uh, are, are going to have to to change. So I think we're, we're recognizing it. Even legacy companies are taking some small steps. But, you know, I, I always make snarky comments about retiring aging executives. And frankly, some of those older executives are going to have to retire before we see some huge dramatic changes happening in some big companies. Well, John, fascinating stuff as always. I feel like we could dive deep on another 10 of the, those different topics, but you know, time is marching on for us on the show today. Um, if you were to sort of summarize, and again, let's think about us being our, you know, these uh, services leaders going into our offsites this week or next week, what, what, would, what would be the, 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 the couple of things we should take away from our conversation today? Well, I think if you're uh, an executive or a consultant who has always been judged on the key projects that you were given, how busy you are, uh, how much revenue you're generating. You know, we're, we're never going to get away from those metrics because we are making money from services. And, and it's important that we continue to do that. Um, but I think that everybody just has to take a step back and think, what does customer success really mean? And that is going to be a different answer for, for different companies. And then what can you personally do in your role to accelerate that success? And I think that consultants have a very unique position because not only do they know the product probably better than anybody in the company, including development, but they have been in the trenches seeing people use it, which nobody other than field service ever gets an opportunity to do. So I think that professional services has an amazing opportunity to really inform what the model should be of 
using PS to accelerate adoption. And I hope they have a seat at the table for that conversation because I think it could really raise their visibility and influence within the organization. Not that they didn't have a good one already, but I think that they are one of the most critical elements to customer success. And the sooner people realize, again, that this is a culture and a philosophy and not a department, uh, the more successful their customers will be. Yeah, it just makes so much sense, doesn't it, John? That's a hugely unique part of any organization is just think about the physicality of that. I'm getting on a plane, flying to a customer, spending three weeks there and really, truly being the face of the company on site with a particular client or remote these days more so. But, you know. That is a very unique part of any business, whether you're marketing it, you're selling it, you're doing client success. If you're actually traveling out to see someone and making something work in front of their very eyes and getting them to see and love and gain the benefits of what you're doing, that's a very, very unique uh, uh, skill and experience you have and value within your organization. I love it, John. That's a great, uh, great takeaway for all of our services leaders on, on, uh, that are listening to us today. So, John, thank you once again. Great conversation. I always feel like we could go for hours and hours on these ones. So what we'll do is we'll save it up for another couple of episodes. We're definitely going to have you back on. This has been, uh, once again, an amazing conversation, and I'm really pleased, as always, to have you on. Um, any final thoughts on your organization? What would be your call to action for our listeners to, uh, to work with you at TSIA? Well, we are gearing up for our next in-person conference in May in Orlando, and it is uh, our first time at the new World Congress Center. We have the entire World Congress Center in Orlando. So, uh, you know, we we had to work some kind of atrophied muscles doing in-person in Las Vegas uh, back in October, but we are ready to see everyone and welcome them and collaborate and hope hope we will see you there. Wonderful. Fantastic, John. Thank you. Um, and if you'd like to dig into the topic of client satisfaction a little bit more from a Mavenlink perspective, please feel free to head to our Mavenlink blog, which is mavenlink.com forward slash blog. Click on the client satisfaction filter for a whole host of articles about keeping your clients happy, engaged and retained. All things that we spoke about today, John. So hopefully we can converge and help everybody out there with uh, with some great content, great support uh, for our fellow services leaders uh, around the world. And finally, as always, please feel free to reach out to us, podcasts at mavenlink.com with any follow-up questions or suggestions about future episodes. Get in touch, connect with us on LinkedIn, come and talk to us. We'd be delighted to, to do that. John, thank you once again for being on the show and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure and I appreciate everything uh, you and the Mavenlink team do. Thank you, John. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.